All right, you can be seated and grab a Bible if you don't have one. There's a bin of them up here. If you want to, looks like Ben's handing some out. Acts chapter 21 is where we're going to be. So if you have your own Bible, find Acts chapter 21. If you got a blue or a white one, like the one that we just handed to you, it is page 542. 542. A couple quick announcements. Uh, we have growth track tonight, so if you're interested in learning more about our church and why we do the things we do and how we do them, um, we encourage everybody who comes to this church to go to growth track, and so it's an hour our class, we buy you dinner. It's at the church office, which is just up the road here at 5 o'clock. So uh, I'm going to be right here after service. If you're like, yeah, I want to come to Growth Track, you should, and we'll buy you dinner. And there's a place for kids to hang out and stuff, too. So that's tonight. Um, I've been saying that for a little bit. Um, and then we have a women's retreat coming up. And I don't know all the details, but I know they put a slide up here. So, um, yeah. If you are part of that and you want to talk to Emma or Megan or Krista, I know they all know what's going on there. Um, I'm going to start this a little bit weird. I don't know if this has ever happened to me. I've never seen it before. It has to have happened in the history of the world, I would think. But I'm not in a good spot right now. And um, I had a great week. We were on a prayer retreat. I had an awesome time with my wife. And I should have expected this, but the Lord uh, blessed us all week, and now I'm just not feeling great. I'm not in a good spirit. And so we're going to take like a minute, and I would just please pray for me. Because I think the thing the Lord did in my heart this week as I was studying was great, and that's not what I'm feeling at the moment. So uh, we're just going to take some time in prayer. I'm going to cry out to the Lord, and please pray for me in this time uh, before I teach. <sighs> Lord, as we open your word right now, I just, uh, I beg you that you would speak to your people uh, from your spirit, Lord, uh, that the words would be yours, I wouldn't get in the way, uh, distractions wouldn't get in the way, whatever things we drug in this morning we're thinking about or frustrated with or disappointed over, Lord, uh, that those would fade as we focus on who you are and, uh, and that your word would prove powerful in our lives right now. And so lead us. We ask you in your name. Amen. All right. Acts chapter 21. Um, we're going to start in verse 1. Here we go. Actually, I'm going to start here. I got a text last week. And uh, the text started with, well, the, the gist of it was, it's not how you start, it's how you finish. A friend of mine threw that on a text that we were going back and forth. And... 
I'm a very skeptical person by nature. I started asking myself, is that even true? Because <laughs> like, I feel pretty good about some of the stuff I've done. But if I finish crappy, like, is that going to ruin all the great stuff I've done? So I was kind of praying through that and thinking through that. And the reason it came up in my mind is because uh, we have just recently read through Acts chapter 20, and Paul was kind of giving his final speech to the pastors at the church in Ephesus. And so it was like the last time he was going to see them, the Holy Spirit put on his heart, like, you're not going to see these people anymore. And so it was like his last words. And we talked about how we kind of lean in. We're like, hey, this is a big deal. This is the last time he's saying something to these people. And this is very similar to what he said, right? He said this first. I'm actually going to throw it on the screen just to kind of remind you and frame what we're going to talk about today. He said, but I do not account my life of any value, nor as precious to myself, but if only I may finish my course and the ministry that I receive from the Lord Jesus to testify to the gospel of the grace of God. So it seems like Paul believes that it's not how you start, but how you finish. Because he's done a lot of great stuff at this point. He actually started really poorly, ended up doing a lot of great stuff, and he's pressing on now to finish well. Um, and so... He's not wrong. I've, I've actually seen this happen. As a pastor, I get a unique perspective. Uh, I've done funerals, people who didn't finish well, and uh, it's really sad. It's really sad. Actually, the destruction that is left that most people leave behind with the way they live their life is really tragic. But I've also been parts of stories of redemption and transformation. I've seen the impact of people who had the courage to humble themselves and submit to God and allow him to make a way where there was no way and do a work where no one could do a work and restore hope where there was no hope, bring beauty from ashes. I've seen people finish well who have started from all over the place and even run the most of their race in a terrible spot. And yet when they finish well, like the end of those types of lives is so much different. The joy is so incredible. And here's the great thing about that statement. If it's true that it's not how you start, it's how you finish, then the great news is that means there's hope for every single person that walked in this morning. You realize that? Like if you still have breath in your lungs, if you could still make changes in your life, then you could walk out of those doors and finish well. Like, that's, that, that's an incredible hope, right? That's just, you're not stuck where you are. Like, you have time to walk with God. That's an incredible gift. It means whatever path you thought you were on when you decided to walk into church this morning, or maybe you're listening online, or whatever you're doing, you can surrender to the leading of the Spirit of God in a moment, and be walking on a new path with a renewed hope and a restored soul and a promise of God that he will do and provide what is necessary to see you finish well if you trust him. Now, what's interesting about this message is not necessarily that it's super encouraging, which I believe that it is, right? As Paul says that to these people, like, I gotta finish my race. And you're like, man, that is like, let's go for Jesus. I want you to think bigger picture here, though. It's not just me telling you, like, hey, we can finish well, guys. Let's go. Let's do this. In the book of Acts, if this is the documentary of the church and how it was born, think about this. We saw how the story started. Jesus actually passed it on to the apostles by doing what? Finishing well. Right? As he sat in the Garden of Gethsemane the night before he was crucified, he said, Father, not my will, but yours be done. Jesus finished well and passed finishing well on to the apostles and said to them, be disciples by making disciples, right? And so Paul took that mean to mean not only do I finish well, 
but then I tell others to finish well. So this is not just like a really encouraging moment for you. Maybe this morning, hopefully, like, man, I could finish well. But this is the means by which the Christian church has been passed down from generation to generation to generation. One generation saying to the next, finish well. We're trying to finish well. Now you finish well. And there's a line of men and women with incredible legacies who finish well, stretching all the way back to our Savior, Lord Jesus Christ, who have finished well and then taught others to finish well. As Jesus hung on the cross to finish his race and the apostles finished well to pass on the legacy of the gospel to the next generation, all the way up to Riverstone Chapel that exists now because those before us finished well. Like, that's a cool... That's. Like, this is not just a cool thing at church. This is how the church continues. It's not only how the church was formed, but how it matures and endures. So what follows from Acts chapter 21 through Acts chapter 28 is actually the story of how the apostle Paul finishes well. Right? So he said this in Acts 20. He said, I got to finish my race, and then we're going to see what it actually looks like for him to finish his race from Acts chapter 21 to 28. So here we go, Acts 21. This is uh, us being a fly on the wall as the Apostle Paul finishes his race. And when we had departed from there and them and set sail, so he was leaving some people behind in Ephesus, we came by a straight course to cause, and the next day to Rhodes, and from there to Patara. And having found a ship crossing to Phoenicia, we went aboard and set sail. And we had come to the side of Cyprus, leaving on the left, we sailed to Syria and landed at Tyre, for there was a ship there, for there the ship was to unload its cargo. And having sought out the disciples, we stayed there for seven days. And though the Spirit was telling Paul not, and through the Spirit, they were telling Paul not to go on to Jerusalem. And when our days were ended, we departed and went on our journey, and they all, with wives and children, accompanied us until we were outside of the city. And kneeling down on the beach, we prayed and said farewell to one another. Then we went on board the ship, and they returned home. I want I'm just one second on this, okay? I'm, I'm starting this chapter on a bit of a side note. I don't usually do this because I know this isn't necessarily a theme or teaching of the scripture in this passage, but man, is this a cool picture having whole families, fathers, mothers, children on their knees before the Lord praying for his will to be done as Paul and Luke and the disciples head off on the beach. That's cool, right? I don't know if you ever see that, like that, that's such a different picture when you compare it with the picture of the family that we have in 2021, right? Where everybody's looking at their phones and like couldn't care less about the will of God for anybody else or themselves, right? On their knees before the Lord, begging God to work on behalf of Paul. That's a cool picture. Anyway, back to Paul, finishing his race well. Here's what just happened. The Holy Spirit somehow impressed on Paul's heart that he needed to go to Jerusalem, okay? For him not to go would be disobedient to what God had called him to do. But God also let Paul know, this is going to be really hard. This is going to be difficult. You're going to encounter things that are a huge struggle. So they do what most of us do. They pray. And as they're praying, the Holy Spirit reveals to their heart what he already told Paul, that this is going to be really hard. So they do what most of us do. They go, oh, it's going to be hard? Don't go then. It's going to be hard? Don't go. Simple as that, right? What? Paul, we discern through the Spirit this is going to be difficult for you. There's tragedy that awaits you. This is going to be really like frustrating for you. Like, bad things are going to happen, so don't go. Duh, right? Like, 
And what happened is the Holy Spirit told them what was coming. There was going to be difficulty. But the Holy Spirit, they didn't wait long enough to hear what the Holy Spirit wanted them to do with that information. And we do this all the time. We're like, Lord, speak to me. And then he gives us like, hey, I want you to fill in the blank, or this is what's happening in this. And then we don't take the extra moment to be like, okay, Lord, now that you reveal that to me, what do you want me to do with it? And so often we get this leading of the Holy Spirit or some truth from the scriptures, and we're like, I know what to do with that. And God's like, no, you don't, right? Like, I went skiing with my son the other day. It was the first time we had gone backcountry skiing, and so it's like, I don't know if you're familiar with it, but you like, have these special bindings on your skis so that you can walk up the mountain. So we walked all the way to the top of the mountain. But the skis are a little different, and the bindings are a little different, and the boots are actually a little different. So my son, great skier, like I'm super proud of him in that, but he, he hadn't quite figured out how all the equipment works, and like he was really cold, and when you're cold, you're not thinking straight anyway. And he's 12, so like when you're 12, like you just do stuff. So anyway, we get to the top, and I get his bindings fixed, but he was just so cold. He's like, all right, let's start skiing. And he just takes off. And I like turned around for a second. I was like, where'd he go? And there was a whole bunch of things that were happening like at the same time that I knew was going to be really bad for him. One, like the conditions were really awkward and it was super icy in some spots too. I wasn't sure he knew how to work his boots uh, or maybe he had just forgotten because he was so cold. And then three, I wasn't sure he knew exactly where to go. So I was like, I don't know what's happening now, but Lord, keep him safe. And I come around this thing, and there he is, like, on the ground. like <laughs> He's like, my boots don't work. I was like, yeah, you didn't flip them into ski mode. They're probably still in walk mode, so they're doing this. And he's like, and I couldn't turn. I was like, yeah, this is the really icy stretch. I would have, if you would have waited for me, I would have clicked your boots into ski mode, and we would have gone the other direction, right? But so often we do that with the Holy Spirit. God's like, hey, and you're like, I know what to do. And he's like, no, they don't. And then we're like halfway down the mountain in a pile, and he like skis by and like picks us up, right? This is what's happening to these people. They hear from the Holy Spirit, there's going to be difficult, and they immediately assume God doesn't want us to do anything difficult. We better go the other way. And that's just not true. Maybe God in his kindness doesn't want to shield the person from difficulty. Maybe the difficulty is actually going to be really good for him. Maybe the difficulty is actually going to further the gospel as it will through the Apostle Paul's story as he finishes well. Maybe the consequences of poor choices, I'm not saying this is in the Apostle Paul, but now in our own life, maybe the consequences of poor choices will wake somebody up and us shielding them from difficulty. Maybe they're headed the wrong way. And they wouldn't run a good race until they ran into a wall and ruined their lives and then got back on course. Some of you are hard-headed. And when I say you, I mean us, right? Some of us are hard-headed. We can't figure out to get back on the course and finish our race well unless we totally make a mess of our lives. And maybe God told us about the difficulty that people were walking into so we could be better friends and maybe pray for them through the difficulty. Make them a priority to love them well. Be there to encourage them when the difficulty comes. Take the extra moment when God gives you some sort of a discernment and pray what God would actually do, what he would have you do with that understanding, right? Because there's oftentimes you you talk with somebody, you're like, hey, how's it going? And they're like, good. And you're like, you're not good. I see your face. Pray what the Lord would have you do about that, right? Don't do that. 
Stop doing that. Don't, right? Just don't assume that you know. Like, pray through how the Lord would actually have you minister in that situation. If he gave you discernment, or if he gave you wisdom, or if he gave you something for somebody else, pray then how he actually wants to use you in the life of somebody else. So, don't assume you know what he's doing or how he's working. Look at verse 7. When we had finished the voyage from Tyre, we arrived at Ptolemus, and we greeted the brothers and stayed there with them for one day. And on the next day, we departed and came to Caesarea. We entered the house of Philip, the evangelist, who was one of the seven, and stayed with him. And he had four unmarried daughters who prophesied. And while we were staying there for many days, a prophet named Agabus came down from Judea. And coming to us, he took Paul's belt and bound his own feet and hands and said, Thus says the Holy Spirit, This is how the Jews at Jerusalem will bind men Bind the man who owns this belt and deliver him to the hands of the Gentiles. And we heard this. We and the people there urged him not to go up to Jerusalem. Now, we have another instance of almost the exact same thing. This is what happened in Tyre, okay? Agabus, who is a prophet, meaning God speaks to him to speak to the people. Agabus gets a message from God and tells Paul, Paul, you're going to be bound and lose your freedom in Jerusalem. But Agabus, to his credit, doesn't say any more than that. He didn't say, hey, you're going to be bound and lose your freedom, so don't go. He just says, I don't know why, but God wanted me to tell you that this is what is happening. He doesn't say more than the Lord told him to say. He doesn't say go, or he doesn't say don't go. He just says, this is what the Lord told me to tell you. It's going to be really bad for you. And it's actually a really big deal that Agabus stops there. Because there's so many times as church people that we say more than the Lord actually said. Right? It's a big deal not only to speak when the Lord tells you to speak, but then to stop when the Lord tells you to stop. Or not even wait for him to tell you to stop, but if he's not speaking, don't speak. Don't say things that he didn't say. And you're like, what are you talking about, Jared? Church people and religious people have made up so many rules that the Lord never said. Right? Because the Lord did say something, and we're like, man, we don't want to get close to that. So let's make eight more rules before we ever get there so that you really never get close to the line. And that actually grieves God's heart just as much as not speaking when he's called you to speak, is speaking extra when he never told you to speak. In fact, when Jesus was on the earth, he was talking to the Pharisees, and the Pharisees, the Jewish religious system, man, they had rules upon rules upon rules upon rules. I still think it's funny today if you go over there on Shabbat, which is Saturday, right? They don't want to do any work, so they have an elevator that goes to every single floor so they don't have to push the button and violate the work restriction on Shabbat. It's crazy right? And you always, the Americans do it every time. They get over to Israel, and they're like, I don't want to wait for the next elevator. I'll get on the Shabbat elevator. And then it stops every floor, and you're like, this was a terrible idea. It takes forever to get anywhere. But that's how many rules they had, right? And Jesus came to, into this group of people, and he said, you have heaped such heavy burdens on people that you can't even carry them yourself. And you're not helping them find freedom at all. You're actually just placing weight upon weight upon weight upon weight on them. And what had happened was they didn't stop speaking when the Lord stopped speaking. The Lord stopped speaking and they kept speaking. People have been doing this for thousands of years. And that's why we have so many religious rules and doctrines and regulations. And, and this has something to do with my teaching last week as we were talking about women and their role in the church right? We, we, we see them prophesying. We see them speaking publicly to people on behalf of God. 
And then we don't see a lot of instruction on how to do that. And some people are like, hey, well, then we just won't have them on stage ever in case we'd ever break a rule, right? And so we make a rule before the rule just in case we hit the rule, we would feel bad about the rule. And I'm like, I don't know, man. Like, let's just not make up more rules if God didn't make the rules clear. That's kind of where I landed on it. And here's why it becomes a really big deal. Because if you're not careful, it's actually easier than you think to become the person who is trying to talk someone out of what God is telling them to do. Think about that. You could be the person who is trying to talk someone out of what God is telling them to do. God could be speaking to a person's heart and leading them in a certain direction. Would you really want to be the one who tried to talk them out of that? Who is like arguing with God? God's leading them this way. You're like, actually, I'd go left if I were you. The Holy Spirit doesn't really know what he's talking about, right? We never say that out loud, but this is what's happening. This is what's happening in verse 12. God has called Paul to go to Jerusalem and his friends hear the prophecy of Agabus and immediately they start begging Paul not to go to Jerusalem. They start trying to talk Paul out of doing what God had called him to do. And it's easier than you think to become that person and it happens more often than you think. I spent 10 years as a youth pastor and I watched parents talk their kids out of Bible college I watched parents talk their kids out of missions trips. I watched parents talk their kids out of going to youth group. It happens all the time. It happens all the time. And that that was just my small sphere of like watching a youth group, right? It happens in the church. Husbands talk their wives out of going to women's Bible study. Women talk their husbands out of getting accountability with men, right? It's like these crazy things where you start talking people out of what God is calling them to do. When I think about this issue, I think about that story in Jesus' life when he and the disciples were sitting outside the temple and they were watching the tithe buckets, right? The boxes where people were putting their tithes. And Jesus kind of leans over his disciples. He goes, hey, watch this. And this old woman comes up and she puts in two pennies, two pennies. And then he turns to the disciples. He says, that woman gave more than everybody else who gave this morning because she gave all she had to live on. Now, here's why I think about that. If that woman would have been in our church, like maybe there's some like sweet old grandma and she barely makes anything and she comes to church. She's like, this is my last $20, but I want to put it in a tithe box. You know what I probably would have done? I'd be like, hey, we don't need your $20. Like God bless you, but like we're fine. Like the people of this church are generous and they're giving and loving and like we're okay. The lights are still on. Like if that's really the only $20 you have, like God knows your heart. God bless you for wanting to sacrifice, but you just take it and take care of you. That's probably what I'd tell her. And I would be talking her out of what God had called her to do. Right? I would be talking her out of obedience to the Holy Spirit. And if she had any sense at all, she'd slap me, right? And be like, this is what God told me to do. Stop trying to talk me out of it. Even though in my mind it makes a lot of sense. Like, we don't need your last $20, woman. Like, I'm very grateful for your heart. Like, God knows you have a good desire. And this is, it's so easy. And so many people do it. And that's exactly what's happening here. These well-meaning folks are trying to talk Paul out of being an example and witness that God has called him to be and finish his race well. And here's another thing that I see in the scriptures. And I've seen it happen a million times. And I wish I had an explanation for it. And I don't have an explanation for it. But I'm just going to tell you it happens. 
the people who should understand the most, the people who should get it, the ones you would least expect to disagree with what God is calling you to do in your life, that is where the strongest opposition is going to come from. I got no explanation for it. I just know it happens all the time. People get on fire for the Lord, and they're like, I know God's trying me to do this. And then the people that should be like, yeah, go, or the people like, I don't know. I don't think he really told you that. Happens over and over and over and over again. And it's a surprise every time. And I don't, I, like I said, I don't have an answer as to why, but it happens. It's, we see it in the scriptures all the time. Think about it. Who should have been the most excited that the Jewish Messiah came? The Jews, right? They should have been the ones who were like, woo, he's here. Yeah, we've been waiting for this forever. They hung him on a cross. Who should be most excited that Paul is finishing his race well? The other disciples, right? And they're like, Paul, don't go. Look at verse 12. They're like, we begged him. Don't go. Don't go. Please don't go. Right? When Moses was leading the people out of Egypt, who should have been so excited? The Israelites. The Israelites were like, you're a murderer. Get out of here. Right? Like, you're trying to ask. Like, he, they complain about him the whole way through the desert. It happens over and over and over and over again. I, I, again, as a youth pastor, I saw the Lord put on people's heart to go to the mission field. And guess who's trying to talk them out of it? Their parents. Their parents. You know what? When we came to plant the church, you know who tried to talk it out of us? The people we least expected that would try to talk us out of it. <laughs> we thought like other church leaders would be like, yeah, go for Jesus. Like we thought non-believers would be like, oh, we don't need another church. Non-believers were fine. Right? We'd go to a coffee shop. or like, we're here to plant a church. They'd be like, oh, that's interesting. Great. Good for you. Trying to make the world a better place. Go get them. Right? They didn't care at all. But then you go to like a church over there that feels threatened. And like, I don't think God's called you here, actually. We'll see if you're around in two years. Like, we're not going to help you. Right? It was like, it blew my mind. And yet it happens over and over and over again. I promise you. When you decide to surrender and do exactly what the Lord calls you to do, I promise you're going to receive opposition and disagreement from a place that you would least expect it. Look at verse 12 again. Do you see that word, we? Oh, yeah, it says, we begged him not to go. What does that mean? That means that Luke, the guy who's writing the book, is part of that. Think about that. Luke is trying to talk Paul out of doing what God, so this is not like some like random, like this guy doesn't pray, like doesn't read his Bible, doesn't know God at all. And he's just like, I don't think that's a good idea. This is Luke, the author of scripture is getting this wrong. He's trying to talk Paul out of this. And look at Paul's response, verse 13, that Paul answered, what are you doing, weeping and breaking my heart? For I'm ready not only to be imprisoned, but even to die in Jerusalem for the name of the Lord Jesus. And since he would not be persuaded, we ceased and said, let the will of the Lord be done. Now, there's a group of people out there in the world who, when they have made a decision and have decided that they don't want people to argue with them, they use this magic phrase, God told me to. It's a thing, right? Like, I, I kind of, I don't want to talk to you about this anymore. Like, 
God told me to do this. And usually when someone uses the phrase, God told me to, it's because they want you to stop poking around and asking questions and observing, right? They want you to stop looking into why they're doing what they're doing or what's actually happening. So usually God told me to is code for stop judging me, mind your own business. I'm going to do what I want to do. That's code, right? You're welcome. So if you go out in conversations, right, that's what people are actually saying. But that's not what at all Paul is saying right here. If ever someone had the right to say, buzz off, God told me to, it was the Apostle Paul. And he doesn't say that at all. Look what he says. Like, Paul has probably earned the benefit of the doubt that Paul doesn't have to say this to escape scrutiny into his intentions. But Paul says what he says, not to get people to buzz off and not to look into the, the motivations of his heart, but he actually invites the scrutiny of the motivations of his heart. It's almost Paul says, like, no, please examine why I'm doing what I'm doing. Not God told me to leave me alone. Like, no, no, I actually am ready to die for Jesus if it brings his name glory. People are saying like, hey, this is going to be hard. He's like, please, I want it. Like, I'm ready for it to be hard. And not only am I ready for it to be hard, I'm ready and willing for it to be harder than Agabus even told me. Agabus told me I was going to get arrested and bound. I'm ready to die if that's what God is calling me to do to build his kingdom. Paul doesn't say, God told me to, Luke, leave me alone. Paul says, I know hardship, I know it's coming, and I'm actually ready and willing if it's even harder than I expect. Because that's how convinced I am that me finishing well will bring God glory. That's powerful. That's powerful, right? And it's, when his friends hear that, when the motivation of Paul's heart is heard, and they realize this isn't selfish ambition or pride or compromise, but a desire above all else to do what God wants him to do and finish his race. They say this, let the will of the Lord be done. Let the will of the Lord. Oh, man, how much grief could we save ourselves if we just learned how to use this sentence, right? Let the will of the Lord be done. We try to control. We try to, like, we spend time in prayer, we examine the motivations of the heart, and now it's time to rest in the God who promises he will do what he desires to do. Like, that's an incredible freeing sentence. Not let my will be done, which is how most of us live our lives. We get really upset when the, our will doesn't get done often enough or well enough or fast enough. It's a great gift to be able to find peace in the sentence, let the will of the Lord be done. All right, I got to finish up. I've, I got to move faster. Verse 15. And after these days, we got ready and went up to Jerusalem. And some of the disciples from Caesarea went with us, bringing us to the house of Mason of Cyprus, an early disciple with whom we should lodge. And when we had come to Jerusalem, the brothers received us gladly. And on the following day, Paul went with us, went in with us to James, and all the elders were present. And after greeting them, he related one by one the things that God had done among the Gentiles through his ministry. And when they heard it, they glorified God. So Paul gets there, and the first thing he does is sit down and tell of how good God has been in his life. He's like, this is what God did this is what God did. And when I went here, this is what God did. And this is the amazing thing that God did here. I'm going to throw this out there. I'm not going to spend a ton of time on it, but I'm just going to tell you that it's necessary. If you never plan on making time to recount the goodness of God, you're doing it wrong. Right? If that's never, right? If you know, you go to a financial planner and they're like, when, what are you going to save? And you're like, oh, we'll just save what's left over. He's going to tell you, you're doing it wrong. 
right? Like, if you just are going to save what's left over, you're never going to have anything that's left over. If you're just like, oh, yeah, we'll talk about the goodness of God when we have time, it's never going to happen. I'm telling you that. You will never be like leftover time. You're going to be like, those eggs are playing in 15 minutes. I got stuff to do, right? Like, you have to make time for this. If you only ever solve problems right now and prepare for problems in the future and talk about your past hurt, you are missing the biggest piece of the joy of the Lord, and that is that our God is faithful, and we know that because there is a story after story after story after story of his goodness in our lives. you got to make time to talk about that. You have to. I was thinking about how I personally have failed to lead my family in this very well a couple months back. So on Christmas night, uh, I got the whole family on the couch, and I got my phone out, and this was simple, but we just scrolled through, like, your iPhone pictures from the last year. And just like, just like sitting on the couch looking at it, I was like, oh, yeah, remember we went on that trip? Oh, yeah, remember when that happened? Oh, yeah, that was funny. Oh, yeah, that was good. And it just became this thing where we're like reminding ourselves of how good God has been from my iPhone. Hallelujah, Steve Jobs, right? Who knew? <laughs> but you got to make time for this, right? And I'm telling you, I have not made enough time for this, right? We We've kind of gotten the idea that we need to talk about how we feel, right? That's kind of like a cultural thing right now. We're moving towards, like, self-awareness and self-care and, like, these, like, mental health words of, like, triggering. They're all, like, big right now. And, like, we all know that it's really good to talk about how we feel and the dark places and shadow sides and all that. Do you also make time to talk about the goodness of God and what he's done in your life? Because if you only talk about the other stuff and never remind yourself of how faithful God is, you're missing it, okay? You're missing part of it, a huge part of it. The joy of the Lord is our strength, the Bible says. In fact, at the end of every lead team meeting, I want you to know this as a church, that's what we do. We spend time talking about how we see the goodness of God in you guys, right? So our leadership team gets together, and the last thing we do is wins. Let's talk about wins, right? And so we celebrate, and just this last Tuesday, we celebrated Gabe. Where's Gabe at? Is he in here? He's hiding? Okay, different game, right? We celebrated Gabe. We celebrated Josh and Emma helping out with the youth group. We celebrated Ben leading small groups. We celebrated all these different people, right? The boys behind the soundboard, good job, boys, right? We celebrated these people because, like, we need to be reminded that God is working not only in us, but in the people next to us and in our church. We got to make time for that. Verse 20. We're going to finish up here. And they said to him, You see, brother, how many thousands there are among the Jews of those who have believed. They are zealous for the law, and they have been told that you teach the Jews who are among the Gentiles to forsake Moses, telling them not to circumcise their children or walk according to their customs. What then is to be done? They will certainly hear that you have come. Do therefore what we tell you. If we have... We have four men who are under a vow. Take these men and purify yourself along with them and pay their expenses so that they may shave their heads. Thus all will know there is nothing in what they have been told about you, but that you yourself also live in observance of the law. But as for the Gentiles who have believed, we have sent a letter with our judgment that they should abstain from what has been sacrificed to idols and from blood and from what has been strangled and from sexual immorality. And then Paul took the men, and the next day he purified himself along with them and went into the temple, giving notice when the days of purification will be fulfilled and the offering presented for each one of them. So Paul gets to Jerusalem. And the Jews there, the Jewish believers, the apostles, they say, hey, Paul, super glad you're here. This is great. But 
there's kind of a rumor going around town that you are telling Jews that they don't have to follow the rules anymore. And that makes the Jews really mad. Not just the Jews. That makes any religious person really mad when you say, actually, you don't have to follow the rules. They're like, ah! Right? So they're like, you should watch out, Paul, because these religious folks are going to be really upset if they see you. Now, it's a big time of year because this is around the Feast of Pentecost. So this is one of the four feasts on the Jewish calendar where everybody converged on Jerusalem. They made this pilgrimage to the temple to worship. The historians tell us that um, the population of Jerusalem could have quadrupled or even increased tenfold during some of these feasts. Now, think about this, because Jews from all over the world are converging on Jerusalem during this feast. And remember, as Paul had been doing his missionary journeys, which we watched, there was like five, six, seven times where it said, and there was a plot to kill him, so he had to run. So there's these people from all over the world who have tried to kill Paul when he was in their town, and now probably some of them have made their way to Jerusalem for this feast. And if they see him in the temple, they're going to be really mad. So this is what his friends, the apostles, are warning. They're like, hey, man, lots of the Jews, they're hearing these rumors that you're telling people not to follow the rules, that they don't have to. So just in case somebody sees you, what we do is we have these four guys who are following a vow, right? So we're not exactly sure what vow this was, but some sort of rule keeping, right, where they shave their head and went into the temple and offer certain sacrifices. And if you go with them and kind of lead them in this vow and you pay their way into the temple and you make the sacrifices, then the Jews will look on and they'll be like, oh, see, Paul's following the rules. Like what we heard, it must not be true. So they come up with this plan. You take the vow, go with these four guys, you do the vow thing, and hopefully the Jews won't be so mad. And this is what's crazy. Paul's life is in danger. We knew that already. But the reason his life is in danger isn't even true. Let that sink in for a second. Like the reason Paul is about to go through this incredible difficulty, the motivation is not even accurate. Now, we all are like, oh, I'll go through hard things, and if I have to, like, endure consequences that I made for myself, that I get it, right? If, if we do something stupid, and then we have to, we made our bed, we, now we got to lie in it, we're kind of like, okay with that. We're not stoked on it, but that makes sense to us. Like, hey, I made this hard on myself, right? I should understand. There's a whole nother level when you go through something hard that has nothing to do with your actions, is a complete lie from somebody else. Like, that's another level of walking by faith, right? Like, the thing that Paul's about to walk into, he didn't do that. He didn't, he didn't actually do what they said he did. Like, it's a big lie. Like, it's, it's not even of his own, it's not even a consequence of the way he's lived his life. This is something that's completely unjust, completely not fair. My daughter started doing this thing where every time she, you say something that she doesn't like, she goes, that's not fair, right? She's three, so she doesn't really get what fairness is. She thinks fairness makes her feel good, right? So if it doesn't make her feel good, she thinks it's not fair, right? So it's like, no, you can't have ice cream without dinner. That's not fair. Actually, you don't know what fair is, right? But... <laughs> This really isn't fair. And we think we outgrow that three-year-old mentality, but there's a lot of 45-year-olds that are like, this isn't fair. I, I can't believe you're letting me do this, God. This is hard. It's not fair. 
And Paul is going to walk by faith and finish well in something that he didn't even have anything to do with. It's a complete lie. We're going to see what happens next week. Uh, I don't need to tell you. Uh, we read the prophecies. It's not going to be good. And it's probably actually the wrong way to say it, that it's not going to be good. If your priority is comfort, it's not going to be good. If Paul is worried about comfort more than he's worried about finishing his race, then it's not going to be good. But Paul is worried about finishing well. So here's Roman close. The reason the Christian faith was passed down from men and women of old is not because they prioritize comfort or they define success as the culture did. The reason the church continues is because the saints who went before us and passed on legacies of lives who were consumed with finishing the race, the church is not people who are perfect. The church is not people who have figured it out. The church is not people who have never messed up or never will mess up. But the church is and always will be and always has been a people who are led by God to finish well. You get that? Success as a Jesus follower is not about avoiding difficulty. It's about staying on course. Not following all the rules, but listening to the Spirit. Paul was passing on to those behind him by his example, refusing to get off course. Because remember, when we talked about it three weeks ago, what, what was the phrase we used when we said, when you get off course, you run a meaningless race. If you're not going to finish, then why are you running? Running just to run doesn't accomplish anything. There's some runners out there who are really mad at me right now. Like, I get it. Like, health benefits, runner's high, whatever. Okay, I'm not saying that. But at the end of your life, if you stand before the Lord, he's like, yeah, you ran till you died, but you didn't go where I had you to go, that was a meaningless race. And the legacy that is passed on of fishing well is one of people who are motivated not by avoiding comfort, but by motivated by refusing to run a meaningless race. Discomfort and consequences and danger and threats were not enough to convince Paul to get off course. Guys, our lives have to be about more than just avoiding discomfort. There's people in here who shouldn't own a TV because it will take them off course. And you shouldn't run from that discomfort. You should actually embrace that discomfort and chuck your TV. Like, there's moments in your life where you should actually run to discomfort because you know in that discomfort, it'll keep you from running off course. There's, there's people in this room who should not own a cell phone. Because it's going to cause you to run off course. And yeah, it's really inconvenient. And you can't order takeout as well. And you can't check the scores as easy. Good. You will stay on course. Right? There's moments in your life where you don't have to just like avoid discomfort. But you actually run to it. Because you realize if you just do what's comfortable, it's going to lead you to run a meaningless race. There's people in here who shouldn't drink alcohol because it'll take them off course. There's people in here who should embrace the difficulty of leading a small group because that pressure will drive you to stay on course. You should be like, man, that sounds difficult. And you should do it because it is difficult. And it will keep you on course and humble before the Lord.
I pray that this example Paul sets for us will be, above all else, a cause to do some self-honest examination and recognize if we've gotten off course, maybe we never got on course, maybe we spent our entire lives up to this point running a meaningless race. And like I said, if you have breath in your lungs, there is hope. Because it's not how you start, it's how you finish. And today could literally be the day you surrender to the Spirit and commit to finishing your race well. Amen? And let's pray. Father, I'm grateful for uh, the encouragement and the legacy that Paul passed down, that he received from Jesus, uh, that he passed down to Timothy and Luke and John Mark and the other early church fathers. And, and all the way to Riverstone Chapel 2022, we have this legacy of those who have finished well and made it priority not to run a meaningless race, Lord. And sometimes that means we'll get opposition from places we least expect it. Sometimes that means we embrace discomfort. And sometimes that means we're going to run into moments of our lives that are really not fair. Didn't have anything to do with our consequences of sin, but somebody else. And their consequence of their sin is heaped upon us. Father, I don't know where the people that you've brought this morning are at, but I know that you're calling them to finish well. And I pray that we are a people who surrenders to that call. May this be a room full of people who do the